It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. What is school choice? Why was the system created? And who benefits from school choice? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. School is officially back in session. And if I go back all the years ago to when I went to school, the main choices I had when I went to Target was which lunchbox am I going to pick out? What backpack? Am I going to cover my books with paper bags or those stretchy ones that you get from one of the aisles in Target? So for a kid, it might not seem that crazy going back to school. But for parents, they have an important decision to make, and that is which school am I going to send my child? For a long time, if you decide to send your child to a public school, it had to do with your area code. So not only are you buying a home, you're also picking out a home that will be in a district where you want to send your kid to school. Well, that's where school choice comes in. School choice allows families the opportunity to choose what school or learning environment they want to send kids to that might better cater to that kid's needs. So what are the arguments for and against school choice? How would vouchers work? And how would it impact the educational system as a whole? Well, joining me in the classroom for today's lesson on school choice is the director of Cato's Center for Educational Freedom, Neil McCluskey. And Neil was kind enough to join me now. How's it going, Neil? Oh, it's going all right. How are you? I am better now that you are here with me to talk about school choice. <laughs> because oh. this is this is obviously a topic that comes up a lot. And especially in today's world, education is key. After COVID, people are talking about, you know, uh, just learning and getting back into the schools. So people really care because our kids are our future. I went to school. Mm-hmm. You, I assume, went to school. And um, it's, it's an interesting topic for people across the board. So I just want to start by asking you if you could just explain what is going on right now with the education system, how is it designed, and where does school choice come in? All right. Well, so, I mean, the norm in education in the United States has been, you know, maybe for the last 120 years or so, that you get assigned to a public school based on your home address, so where you live. Uh, so most people are probably accustomed to, uh, you know, they're, they're in a house or they're in an apartment and they're told you're going to go to public school number four, or maybe that school has a name. And you're going with people who have also been assigned to that school based on where they live. And it's usually part of a school district, which usually contains uh, maybe a few elementary schools, a middle school or two, and a high school. And you just kind of get funneled through that. And there wasn't a lot of expectation that your parents would choose something other than that. You just went to the, to the government-run school that you were told to go to. Um, and that was, again, it's been the norm for maybe 100 years or so. Public schooling is older than that, but for a long time, people weren't going to school that much. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, you know, going to high school. Um, but as that became the model, what we saw more and more was people saying, oh, wait a minute, that school doesn't work for me. Sometimes it was because of academics. The school just didn't teach math and reading well. Uh, more often, it was because of personal things. 
For a long time, public schools in the United States were kind of de facto Protestant institutions, although kind of a lowest common denominator Protestantism. So you saw a lot of Catholics say, well, that doesn't work for us. And that's why you have a whole lot of Catholic schools in the country. And then people said, but I'm an atheist and that doesn't work for me. And then in the 60s, we got rid of all religion, and lots of people said, but I need religion in my schools. So we saw this big increase in Christian schools and Jewish day schools, and people wanted to choose something else. But the problem was they still had to pay a whole bunch of taxes for those public schools to which you were assigned just based on where you lived. And so we've seen this growing movement to say, hey, instead of that tax money going to a particular school, to a government school, let it follow my kids to the school I choose. And that's kind of where we are now when we talk about school choice. I mean, that makes sense because, you know, you're, you're putting your kids into school, you're paying taxes, you want them to have the best education as possible. And I'm curious to ask you this, why, why do you think it has changed? Obviously, it's been a discussion to be able to send your kids where you wanted to send them. But I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the last couple of years, it's become more to the fore. It's come more to the forefront. Um, do you think it has to do with, in part, housing prices? Us millennials love to complain how hard it is to buy a house. And if I have, when I have kids, I would love to be able to send them where I want to send them. But I don't know what I'll be able to afford in terms of houses. So do you think that plays a role in it? Yeah, there are a lot of things driving a really big move for school choice now. I think it's important to understand that people were asking for school choice really from the first days of public schooling, the earliest time when we were starting to see public schooling going back to the 19th century. So this isn't new, but the, the effort to get it has been very strong in the last few years. I think part of that is, yes, people used to choose a school, a public school, by choosing a home. In other words, if you wanted to access a particular school, the way you paid tuition was you bought a house. Mm -hmm. But that's a really expensive way to pay for a school. And lots of people, I, I think, have seen that, wow, buying a house just to get a school, that's an extremely expensive proposition. Many people simply can't buy the home in a district that they want to go to. And so that's been a part of it. The other thing we've been seeing is that after COVID, or during COVID, when people were getting education, their kids were getting education in the home, you know, usually online, that a lot of parents started to see that they don't like the things that the schools are teaching. And that has driven a desire for a lot more choice, to, mm -hmm. to choose schools that teach things that are consistent with the values and the beliefs of the family. And of course, when everybody was sort of forced to online learning, because they were forbidden from going to that physical school, they also got kind of aggravated saying, I want more power. I don't want to just be told, hey, I can't put my kids in school because the government has said, nope, these schools are closed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the, the books that they're bringing into these schools and you're like, wow, I... Even at 29 years old, I would not be reading that that type of literature. And uh, yeah, it is parents want more and more control because of, to your point, what's being taught in these schools. And that, that is an element that I think is driving people to go and say, I want to make the decision on my own. Um, what do you what 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 does school choice look like then in these states that have passed it and, and what states have gotten involved? 
Well, so school choice has really exploded a lot even since the 1990s, and I should probably lay out a little bit of what we mean by that. So the idea of school choice is basically money follows the kids instead of going directly to a government school. But there are a lot of different kind of flavors of school choice. Many people have probably heard of charter schools, Mm -hmm. and charter schools are like a public-private hybrid that are that are technically public, but they're usually schools that are free of a lot of rules and regulations that govern traditional public schools. And money, some amount of money, public money, follows children to those charter schools, and they they choose them. Families choose them. So that's one form of school choice. But they are public schools. They typically can't be religious, although that is now being challenged in the state of Oklahoma. But anywhere else, they can't be religious. And they have to do things like give state tests, which means they have to follow state standards, which really constrains how much choice they can be. The, the much bigger explosion in school choice that we've seen is choice where money follows kids to private schools or increasingly to lots of options, not just private schools, but if you need tutoring uh, or if you're a homeschooler and you want to buy curriculum. So vouchers is typically the term we use for, hey, the government will let you take some amount of money that would have gone to a public school to pay for private school tuition. Mm. And it's usually just tuition. We've had tax credit programs where if you send your child to a private school, you can get a tax credit for the cost of that school. Or, more powerfully, if you donate to a group that provides scholarships to private schools, individuals could donate, corporations can donate, then they get tax credits. So that's like a voucher, but the funders have a a lot of choice. Um, That is another form of school choice that's been widespread, uh, but is, again, just for private school tuition. And now we have these education savings accounts where you get money put into an account that you can use for a private school, but again, you can also use it for other things like tutoring or buying curricula. And what we've seen is we've gone to now universal ESA programs. I think it's in seven or eight states now, just in the last year. So West Virginia kind of started it a couple of years ago. Arizona, which has long been a leader in school choice, moved to universal ESAs uh, in the middle of 2022. And then we've seen states like Iowa and Oklahoma um, and others in Florida uh, and others move to this universal school choice, often universal ESA model. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. So you're saying that if, let's say I'm going to send my kid to a private school, but I live in a district where there is a public school. Instead of some of my taxpayer dollars going to that public school, I can take that money and apply it to the tuition that my child has in my private school, and that's a voucher. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So typically it's, you know, the way we fund education is, depending on your state, but about 45% of it is money that's from the local government, usually through property taxes. About 45% is from the state, usually from income taxes or other taxes. And around 10% is from the federal government. Um, And usually it's that state part 
that could follow a child to whatever private school they want. So the local district usually doesn't have their money taken, but the state says, look, you shouldn't be constrained to a school district. If you want to go to a private school, you can take much of your state money to that. Uh, and so that's usually how it works, although it, it varies a little bit from state to state. You know, it's interesting because not too often do we get to decide where our taxpayer dollars go to. So mm -hmm. it's it's nice that at least you can kind of make that decision and say, hey, I, I'm going to go here and I can take some of that money with me that I'm already paying to the government. Um so what what would happen then to the schools in those districts, like the public schools, if let's say a bunch of the parents say, we don't want to send our kids here. The education is not what we want for our, our children. We're going to send them to private. What would then happen to the funding for those public schools? Well, so what you see is, especially, you know, so those kids were in public schools and they go to a private school. The first thing is there's actually more money per student left in that public mm. school because, remember, it's typically only the state money. So the local money that would have been funding a kid who moved, it stays in that public school. So you see more money for kids who stay in that public school. We also see that there's a lot of research, it's like 26 or 27 studies now, almost all of which show that when that public school faces competition, that public school does better. So the, what we see in that public school is actually more money per student and better outcomes. Now what could happen, but we haven't seen it, is that school choice is so popular or there are other options that are so much more popular than the public school that almost everybody leaves. We haven't seen that, but what that would say clearly is, hey, we need something other than that public school because it's not providing what the vast majority of people want. Mm -hmm. And what school choice would typically result in then is other people starting private schools like the ones that are so popular and kids wouldn't be left without options. They would all choose something else. But again, that's not what we see. What we typically see is there are some families who say, I want something else. I need something else. And they choose it. But it's never so many that a public school just goes out of business. What they typically do is face competition, which is better for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've seen our math and science scores in this country are just, they're dismal compared to other countries. So if there is competition, then that's good because we're kind of encouraging, I was an athlete, so you know, if you're if you're playing a better team, it encourages you to, to be better. And if you're gonna be left without another option, it, it kind of forces you to step up your own game. So maybe maybe that's, maybe that is a good thing. Do, do do school vouchers work for homeschooling as well? I, I, I'm just wondering about this because so many people are discussing pulling their kids out of school, teaching them themselves. They are fed up with the things that they're, they're being taught, and they, they want to instill their own values into their kids. Can you apply that to your education at home? So usually a voucher doesn't apply to education at home because it has to be taken to a private school, so an actual school. But education savings accounts do apply to homeschoolers. Now, it's important how you write those laws, and uh, the policy analyst who works at Cato's Center for Educational Freedom, which I direct, uh, Colleen Hroncheck, just released a paper talking about how to write laws so that ESAs can help homeschoolers. Um, but homeschoolers are often somewhat concerned that if any government money or government-connected money is involved in homeschooling, 
that you'll get government rules and regulations and that the homeschoolers will lose freedom. Mm. And there is reason to be concerned about that. I mean, often government money does bring government strings. So there's sort of a divide among homeschoolers, and there are ways you can write laws that say, look, if you take this money as a homeschooler, you'll be designated somewhat differently than other homeschoolers who don't take the money. But it does give you the ability to educate at home but basically not have to pay twice for education, once in taxes and then a second time for all the costs of buying curriculum and textbooks or other things that you use for homeschooling. So education savings accounts can help homeschoolers, are applicable to homeschoolers, but it's also important that some homeschoolers who don't want the connection can still be legally separate. Right, that makes sense. What are some of the arguments against school choice? Well, there are a number of arguments against it. Um, One of the first is that, well, if we allow school choice, if we enable people to choose schools rather than all having to go to a public school, Mm -hmm. that it'll balkanize society, that we'll all sort of go off in our own little corners, and not only will we be in our own little corners, but we'll also for some reason be fighting. Um, I think that's totally wrong. Uh, The historical evidence is that public schools force social conflicts. Whenever you try and force people with diverse desires or values to pay for and attend one system of schools, it guarantees they have to engage in political conflict to see whose values get taught. And we've been seeing this like on steroids Mm -hmm. for the last two or three years. But it has always been with us. You can go back to battles over the Bible in the 1840s, you know, whose Bible gets used in the schools? You can go to the Scopes Monkey Trial in the 1920s, how do we teach human origins? Uh, The Kanawha uh, County Textbook War that was fought in West Virginia in the 1970s. It's always been with us, but it's become much more acute now. And what we see is actually students in chosen schools, actually, even when you control for socioeconomic status, are better equipped to be good citizens. They better understand how government works. They are more tolerant of people with opinions other than their own. So this major fear that if we lose public schools, we all sort of spin off into warring tribes uh, is just totally incorrect. It's sort of maybe intuitive to people that that's what happened, but it wouldn't. Freedom leads to peaceful, uh, productive interaction rather than forced conflict. Other concerns are that, well, only people who are, you know, savvy parents will choose, and as we discussed earlier, other kids will be left behind. But what we typically see is school choice is used not by people whose kids are doing well in public schools, but people whose kids struggle, the ones who need something else, and those are often lower-income people. Uh, So it's not that, you know, the rich people or the very well or successful students are the ones leaving public schools. They're the ones for whom public schools are working. It's other people are leaving. So those are the major arguments, in particular this, that we'll, you know, we'll suddenly be in warring factions or that we're hurting people academically by letting other people leave. And we just don't see a lot of evidence of that. 
Well, to your point, the hope is, is if people do leave and those quote unquote students that are left behind, they'll end up getting a better education because you'll be forced to step up a little bit and and kind of meet those standards. And maybe there are there are more schools that open that cater to those kids and and give them more one on one education and, and allow them to kind of be who they are and to grasp their their true potential. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. What about teachers? What's the overall feeling that they have, and what happens to the teachers in public schools and private schools if you know this? Your state does have school choice. Well, it's obviously good for teachers in private schools if there's school choice, because we have to understand that private schools are in a very difficult financial position. They basically have to compete against something that is free, quote unquote free, but free from the position of a private school's potential customers, families. If you want to go to a private school, again, you have to pay twice in the absence of school choice. You first pay taxes for a public school that doesn't meet your needs, and then you pay a second time for a private school. So private schools, people tend to think, oh, they're all really expensive institutions. They think of sort of uh, New England uh, residential prep schools like Andover and Exeter, and they say, well, those cost $45,000 a year. Private school is a very expensive thing, only for the elite. But most private schools are not Andover and Exeter. Most private schools are sort of your neighborhood Catholic school or a micro school in a you know church basement somewhere, um, or lots of you know Montessori schools. There are places called Acton Academies, and they're all very low cost. They typically cost less money than we spend per pupil in public schools, and there's a reason for that. It's the only way they've been able to exist is they have to provide a often more desirable product at less cost than the public schools or they go out of business. So teachers in private schools then don't typically get paid as much as teachers in public schools. They often have more autonomy and they have more power because they could go to another school than a public school teacher, but they get paid less. And so school choice means you can start to put those private schools and the people who work there on a more equal playing field with public schools, and that's good. For public school teachers, they should also want more school choice because that breaks down basically a monopoly on labor that public schools have. If you don't have these other schools, your only choice is to go to a public school, which often is subject to state rules about you must negotiate with unions um, and other state rules about teacher qualifications and what teachers can and cannot do. And you're in sort of a a bad place to get paid more. So even though public school teachers do get paid more than private school teachers, public school teacher pay has been flat for, or essentially flat for decades. So they're not actually getting dynamic big pay increases. They're just getting more than their their hobbled competition right now. And so you'd be able to demand better pay. You'd be able to demand better uh work circumstances. You'd have less regulation that tells you what you have to do. You'd probably have more ability to be creative within a school. And if you didn't have a chance to teach the way you wanted in a school, 
you'd have lots of other schools that would be competing for your business or your labor, um, and you could go to those other schools. So all teachers would be better off if there was school choice, if there was competition among schools, because that means they're also competing for good, effective, dedicated teachers. Mm -hmm. I have to quickly say, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, and God bless my teachers, because they not only taught me um, you know, about world history, about U.S. history, math, science, all the subjects, but... They also instilled values and, and they held me to a high standard. And, and I do have to give them a shout out because I, I went to an amazing school with amazing people. Um, where Where is the country on this as a whole? What percentage of the country is pro school choice and which what percentage is against it? Well, as with all public opinion, a lot of that depends on how the question is asked. Mm -hmm. But what we typically see, especially with more neutral questions, is the large majority of parents and just Americans support school choice. They support the idea that parents should be empowered to take their children to schools that best meet their needs because they recognize that all kids are different, all families are different, that people have different values, and that we're supposed to be a free society. And in a free society, you don't try to standardize everybody, especially standardized children. You want to enable people to choose what they think is right and what they think is best and what meets the needs of their individual children. And it's an important sort of side note to this. We talk about value and success of education based on academic outcomes and standardized test scores. And those are important, but they're definitely not the only thing important to people. It's often not the most important thing. And so uh, I thought it was important that you mentioned that, you know, the school you went to instilled values. Many people choose schools because they have values they think are important that public schools either can't or won't recognize or advance. Um, and so a whole lot of what it is that people support school choice for is the ability to access education that is consistent with what they think is most important, not what bureaucrats think are most important, or maybe even just the majority of other people. Because majority in a free society is not usually supposed to dictate what families do or what kids learn. Liberty is first and foremost in the United States. Why is it then, do you think, we don't have more school choice? Well, it's, it's always a vexing question why we don't <laughs> have more school choice. Um, but it, it's important to look at the development of education in the United States, which a lot of people don't know the history. Public schooling isn't all that old. Many people think, well, the only way we've ever been able to supply education for everybody is through government running schools. And that's not true. Public schooling really only kind of started in the 1830s, the late 1830s, with Horace Mann uh, and the common schooling movement, which began in Massachusetts. But we already had very widespread literacy in the United States. We had lots of educational options at that point that were, you know, many of them were religious. Some of them were women uh, typically running just education schools in their homes, homeschooling 
within your own family, so not sending them to somebody else was very common. Um, there was lots of sort of vocational education where you'd learn to read and write, but you'd also learn a skill through apprenticeship. Education was very widespread before common schooling, and people don't realize that now. In fact, historians say that one of the reasons common schooling was able to become more common, public schooling was able to spread, is because it was at first basically just doing what parents were doing anyway, mm. educating kids. But you get to you know, the late 19th century and we start to then have more sort of comprehensive public schooling. It looks like it does now with sort of more centralized school districts and you start to have high schools and bureaucracies, you know, school district bureaucracies where experts tell you how to become educated. And people today think, well, that's how education has always been provided and needs to be provided. But of course it wasn't. We also had a huge system of Catholic schools that arose at the same time because public schools were typically uh, hostile to them. Um, and so it's taken us a while to realize again that education doesn't have to be delivered by the government, that public education doesn't necessarily mean public or government schooling. And so you get to the 1960s when this has kind of reached its apogee and people start to say, wait a minute, these schools don't work for a lot of people. They're not working for low-income kids. They're not often working for kids in the inner city. And they're not working now, once you get to the 1960s, for just about anybody who thinks religion is important in, in education. So in the 70s and 80s, you see a lot of talk about, hey, why don't we have money follow kids. And once you get to the early 1990s, you have the start of charter schools and modern voucher programs, although there were school choice uh, programs even again back in the 19th century. And it's really caught on in the last 10 years and especially the last four, you know, two or three years because people have become very unhappy with their public schools in many cases. And COVID made even people in kind of the most expensive, nicest school districts where they spend a lot of money realize if somebody says we can't all go to the school building right now, it doesn't matter how much money I have. I can't get the education I think is right for my kids. So that made it clear to basically everybody why you would need school choice. Yeah, I want to pick up on something you said, too, about different students needing different things, depending on their, you know, learning degree or how, how fast they can learn, maybe what language they speak, what their na native language is. How does it work with special needs kids? I, I, I want to ask this question because I two of my best friends, they one is in deaf education and one is in special education, and they are just the angels that God sent down to this earth to help people. And I wanted to know if school choice plays or, you know, government funding or if you can take some of those tax dollars and put them into these schools. Does anything benefit special needs kids? Yeah, actually, many of the school choice programs, not the most recent ones passed in the last year or two, but that have been around for 10 or so or 15 years, many of them are for specifically kids with special needs. Um, so there are many of these scholarships or vouchers, um, also tax credit programs specifically for those kids. Uh, because school choice supporters have recognized for a long time, again, that all kids are different. They all need something you know, the ability to get education tailored to their needs. And, you know, obviously special needs kids are, are part of that. Mm -hmm. And so much of what school choice has been focused on 
especially in most of its history, is how do we first get choice to the people who absolutely need it most? And that was kids in low-income areas or kids in public schools that were doing especially poorly or kids with special needs. So school choice has been focused on on those populations really from day one of modern school choice programs, which starts in the early 1990s. Mm. Last question I have for you, Neil, is uh, just I always like to ask at the end of these things, what do you think is the most important thing that you should know about school choice? What would you say that is? Well, I think the most important reason we want school choice is because that is the only way to deliver education consistent with a free and diverse society. The fact of the matter is people have different values, different desires for their kids. Kids have different dreams for what they want to do when they get older. And unless you have a system with lots of different options and lots of different focuses and lots of different values, those people can't get what they want. They are forced into what becomes often zero-sum ugly conflict with their neighbors to try and grab the reins of power over one school district to say, I want my kids to learn my particular values uh, when it comes to religion or sex education, and you want something different. But we only have one school here, so you and I are going to have to fight to decide who gets what they think is right for their kids. And that is totally inconsistent with a free and peaceful society. We should enable people to choose what they want and not have to enter into combat with their neighbors to do it. And that's the, the seems to me, the primary reason we should want school choice. A free society enables people to make their own decisions. Um, there are certainly lots of other powerful reasons to want choice. But if you want a free peaceful society, school choice is the way to get it in education. Mm. Well, thank you, Neil, for choosing to come on Getting Schooled. I really appreciate it. Very insightful conversation. So thank you so much, and we'll hopefully see you again soon. Well, thanks for having me on. anything from class these are my office hours and here are some top takeaways about school choice number one even though it seems like school choice is being discussed now more than ever it's actually been on people's minds for decades some of the factors that have elicited the discussion about school choice are religion housing academics and the desire for more parental control number two School choice isn't just about the ability to send your kid to a public school despite which area code you live in. It's far more wide-reaching than that. Some of the types of school choice include charter schools, vouchers to attend private schools, and education savings accounts. Number three, as with any political topic, you're of course going to get your pros and cons to school choice. Critics may argue that it would take funding away from public schools, many of which are already struggling. However, Neil argues that would allow more funding for the students who remain at public schools and would actually increase competition, leading to the betterment of education as a whole. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on School Choice. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.
Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.